Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Friends, I'd like to ask you to do something I don't often ask you to do in church, and that is get out your phones. Would you get out your phones? We're going to take a multiple test quiz, multiple choice test and quiz. It's like we're in the classroom. Since that's the title of our series, we're going to do this each of the next Sabbaths. So you can either take a picture of the QR code on the screen, or you can open your web browser on your phone, Safari or Firefox or Chrome, and type in those words, pollev.com slash L-O-U-C, pollev.com slash L-O-U-C, and that will take you to the page where we're going to take a multiple choice quiz. Now, this is kind of a general knowledge quiz, just to see how we're doing here at Loma Linda University Church with some of these matters. So I trust that you're on by now. So we're going to go to the first question. Now, no cheating, no Googling. You're in church, for heaven's sakes. If I can't trust you here, we are in trouble. So no looking over at the other person's phone, but here we go to question number one. How long did the Hundred Years' War last? How long did the Hundred Years' War last? So click on your option. It looks like it's pretty staying pretty steady. Up to 71, 71, yes, percent. All right, we've probably had everyone weigh into that. Very good. The 100, year war, 100 Years' War lasted 116 years. So we're in trouble. We're 0 for 1. I don't know why. I guess they just rounded down the name of the war. But that was 116 years. So that's question number one. Now let's go to question number two. Question number two is, as it comes up, in which country does the material for Panama hats originate? Material for Panama hats Where does that originate? U.S., Panama, Ecuador, Russia, Kenya. Wow, Ecuador surged to a lead. Panama is kind of trailing behind, still bouncing around a little bit. All right, everybody had a chance? The material for Panama hats originates in Ecuador. So you did well. We're one for one. Apparently, in the 19th century, Panama ordered so many of the hats, they became known as Panama hats. All right, one for one. We're going rushing on to question number three. From which animal animal do we get catgut? You know, that's I understand the material that is used for violin and guitar and other kinds of strings. From which an, wow, have mercy. 82, 83% sheep. And the rest aren't even close. Well, you're right. It's come from sheep and from goats, honestly. So now we're, what are we, two for three? Am I right on? All right. So now number four. Let's see what you know about this one. In which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? 
September, October, November, December, or they're not a celebrating people, so they don't celebrate it at all. So which one would be right? Okay, well, it's staying pretty steady, so I'll assume that we're mostly done. You are correct, November. Apparently, in the switch from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar, something was lost, and they ended up celebrating it in November. So what are we now? Three and one? Is that right? Uh, don't tell them I told you this, but you're doing a lot better than first service. <laughs> All right, number five. Let's go to the last question. The Canary Islands in the Atlantic are named after what animal? Canaries, seals, cockatiels, sparrows, or dogs? The Canary Islands in the Atlantic, named after what animal? All right, so there's still a few of you entering. Whoa, I thought dogs was going to win, and now canaries have flown past them. Now dogs are shrinking. Everybody get their chance to enter? All right. The correct answer, E, dogs. Canary Islands are named. Makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Actually, the Canary Islands in the Latin, Insula Canaria, which is translated Island of the Dogs. But it sounds like canary. Well, three out of five I think we got. That's pretty good. It may not be good enough, however, for the real multiple choice test we're taking, this camp meeting, which has to do with decision making. We want to get, we want to do better than that. So you stand at a fork in the road and you're having to make a decision. Which road do I take? And you're sorting through how you make the decision. You come to camp meeting and you find out last week option A was character. That that moral and ethical fiber that makes up who we are, that's what helps you. You would be right, although character will not help you with every decision, it will certainly keep you from some really bad decisions. This week's option B can be summarized in one word as well. Last week it was character. This week it's counsel. Counsel. This could be asked this way, who has your ear? Who do you listen to? That's an exceedingly important question because the one who has your ear will soon have your mind, and the one who has your mind will soon have your heart, and the one who has your heart will soon have your life. So who are you listening to? There has not been a time in my lifetime in which that question has been more critical than it is today. We are listening to all kinds of things. And most of the time, we're not really listening for information. We're listening for confirmation of what we already think, feel, and believe. We're not listening for information. We're listening for ammunition with which to do something to the other side. Well, I want to pull us back from that this morning and talk about who has our ear in our decision-making processes. It's a critical question. Where do you get your counsel? So to look at this, we're going to go to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 12. We're going to go to the story of Rehoboam. So let me set the stage. King Solomon, Rehoboam's father, has passed off the scene. Now Rehoboam, the son, is about to become the successor. There have been some problems with another gentleman with a very similar sounding name, Jeroboam. 
Jeroboam and Solomon got sideways, and so Solomon was going to do him in, and Jeroboam fled to Egypt. But now that he hears Solomon is gone, Rehoboam is about to be crowned king, he comes back from Egypt. He gathers the people around him, and they go to Rehoboam with a question. Rehoboam makes a decision. He makes a decision that is so bad, so catastrophic, that it divides the nation and the united kingdom of Israel is over, never to be reunited again in exactly the same way. The 12 tribes are now divided because of Rehoboam's decision. And his decision came because of the counsel he listened to. That makes that question, who has your ear, extremely important. Do you listen to people who are wise or just smart? Do you listen to people who are deep or just quick? Do you listen to people who are curious or just cynical? Do you listen to people who are thoughtful or just cheeky? Who has your ear? Well, let's read about Rehoboam, 1 Kings 12. It'll take just a bit to read his story. It's 20 verses long, but it's worth the time. So read with me. 1 Kings 12, beginning in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he, he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid a heavy yoke on you. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord that he had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. 
When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. Catastrophic decision. Divided the country. Polarized the people. Now, don't let Rehoboam slither out of responsibility by the statement that the Lord was behind this. Obviously, God has a role in all of our lives. But remember the Old Testament penchant to just assign everything to God. God is there, no question. But Rehoboam makes his choice. You stand at the fork trying to decide which do I take, what do I do? Maybe you will check this answer on your multiple choice exam. What I need the most, what will help me the most is counsel, good counsel. Well, if you're thinking about that, maybe we could draw out of Rehoboam's story three characteristics that I hope you consider in the person who gives you counsel, in the person who has your ear. First of all, characteristic number one, make sure that the person who has your ear has capability. Capability, capacity, credibility, ability. Call it what you want. Make sure they know what they're doing and know what they're talking about. Don't let it get so spiritualized that you don't ask that question. I hope you know me well enough to know my deep commitment to prayer and God's guidance in our lives. But when it comes to asking, who am I listening to, ask the question, do they know what they're talking about? Notice what happened. Just one verse again, back to 1 Kings 12, verse 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, Solomon, during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. He turns to the people who know. Solomon had had a long reign. This is his cabinet. These are the ones who have ruled with him. They have been through thick and thin together, the ups and downs, the twists, the turns, the corners and the straightaways. They know it all. They have watched the king. They have seen a successful kingdom. They know what they're talking about. So when Rehoboam says, what would you advise me? You ought to listen, Rehoboam. They have capability. And the text says he rejected their advice. Rejected. Why? It doesn't tell us. We can surmise and may be right that the advice they gave him would cost him too much. The truth is, the advice he got from these counselors from his father's cabinet was way ahead of its time, way ahead of its time. We talk about servant leadership a lot these days. That wasn't the case at that day and time, and yet that's exactly what they said to him. They said, Rehoboam, if you will be a servant leader, if you will be gracious to these people, 
If you will respect what they can do and they can't do, your father, builder that he was, just about crushed the life out of the land. So if you will be gentle and gracious, if you will serve them, you will have their loyalty all of your days. And he said, no. He rejected the advice of the people who knew, who had the capability. And he's not the last one who has done that. Some of you will remember the name David Bloom. David Bloom was the weekend co-host of the Today Show. Back in 2003, he became embedded with the military in Operation Iraqi Freedom in Iraq to be a journalist from the war front. He rode in the army vehicles, very cramped space, very tucked in, taking every precaution necessary to make sure he survived the war. And then he began to experience pain. I read you the words of Frederick Balfour, who at that time, back in 2003, wrote on Business Week Online these words. Bloom consulted military doctors and described his symptoms over the phone to overseas physicians. So he's talking to the physicians there. He's calling back home and talking to the physicians here. They suspected DVT, deep vein thrombosis, and advised him to seek proper medical attention. He ignored their advice, swallowed some aspirins, and kept on working on Sunday, he died from a pulmonary embolism, leaving behind a wife and three young daughters. The doctors, they're the people who know. Nah, I can deal with it this way, reject their advice. Well, that was Rehoboam, and he almost died from it as well, ended up running for his life. Capability. Do they have capability? So then Rehoboam turns to his peers, the ones he's grown up with in the palace. We'll read a commentary quote in a few moments that will tell us that in the Hebrew, the way the writer describes them is in a very derisive tone. These peers of Rehoboam, he calls them the boys. The boy. He talked to the boys. Now, lest you think he has something against teenagers, understand this. You go to 1 Kings 14, it tells us that when Rehoboam was crowned king, he was 41 years old. They had grown up with him. These were not boys. They were, in their day, middle-aged men. But they apparently had this little club, the boys. So that's who he turns to now. Understand, they can't give him good advice Number one, they don't know as much about governing as the cabinet did. And number two, they have too much skin in this game. So their way of life, their power, their influence, their living in the lap of luxury, all of that could be threatened if they follow, if Rehoboam followed the advice of the cabinet. So they pushed back against it. And that's who Rehoboam chose. For the nation, catastrophic. So when it comes to you standing at the fork in the road saying, I need some counsel, I need some wisdom, number one, make sure who you talk to knows what they're talking about. 
The only thing I can imagine that's worse than taking advice from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about is taking advice from somebody who doesn't know they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> because then it comes with even deeper conviction. Capability. First reality. Second quality that you need in whoever has your ear is objectivity. Objectivity. The ability to stand back from what's happening and assess it without the emotion of the experience overwhelming them. Objectivity. Once again, Rehoboam did not have objectivity. This was his life. This was his future. This was the legacy that he would leave. This was trying to continue on the dynasty that had started with Saul, with all his mercurial up and downs, had continued with David, with all his passion and charisma, had then continued with Solomon, with his might and glory. And now, Rehoboam, you're up. What will this be for you? It must have been overwhelming to him. He needed some objectivity. But understand, his peers didn't have objectivity. This threatened their way of life. They couldn't be objective and tell him what to do. Objectivity. Mark Twain said, it's amazing how clear we can be about an issue when we don't care how it turns out. It removes all the emotion from it. I remember years ago, I was making a decision, fork in the road, a lot of uncertainty, trying to sort it through. I talked to a friend of mine at the time, said, what do you think about this? He asked me one question that I've never forgotten and I've asked myself many times since. As I stood here pondering this, he said to me, Randy, what would you do if you, if you had no fear? What would you do if you had no fear? And in that particular moment, I knew exactly what I would do. I said, I would do this. Then he said to me, then you're not confused. This isn't an issue of confusion. This is an issue of courage. You know what you want to do. Now the question is, do you have the courage to do it? An objective voice. Objectivity. We need somebody standing outside of where we are. Everybody was too caught up in that that moment, in that experience. I think of another decision. I graduated from college and received a call to be a pastor in a local conference. For those of you who may be from other Christian confessions, our conferences are our sisterhoods of churches. The president who extended the call to me scared me. I was very intimidated. But I did talk to him about seminary. Will I go? Yes. Will I get my degree? Yes. I was all set. So a year later off, I went to seminary. I'd been there a year, half the time, halfway through my degree, when I got a phone call one day in the graduate dorm where I was staying. It was this president. And he said to me, Randy, we need you to come back. We have a church here, church situation where you would work well. We need you to come back. And I said, but I'm halfway through. I know, but we still need you to come back. I said, but I, I want to finish my degree. 
So, well, there's, there are seminaries around Texas. You can finish it, find one here somewhere, and you can finish it later, but we need you to come back. And I said, well, I mean, can I pray about it? I mean, that was like, was like a man going under. How's he going to say no to that? <laughs> can I at least pray about it? So, okay, well, we'll give you a couple of days, but I need an answer. He said, oh, by the way, Mike, Mike, two of us were sponsored together from that place. Mike, he said, we asked him to come back too, and uh, he didn't want to, so we've dropped him. So we'll talk to you in a couple of days. And I thought, okay, I got to pray, I got to worry, and I got to talk to some people. And so I went to the seminary building and I started talking to the two or three seminary professors whom I deeply respected, I'd taken classes from. One of them was destined to be the father-in-law of a dear friend of mine, Carl Hafner. His name was Dr. Clarence Grusbeck. I talked to two gentlemen who had been senior pastor at the church where I had been in college, Ron Halverson Sr. and Floyd Brzee, all of whom were outside of it, none of whom were employed there, none of whom were living my life, could have some objectivity. What sh- I-, I did talk to one another that didn't have quite as much objectivity. I called him Dad. <laughs> Every single one of them told me exactly the same thing. Do not go back. Absolutely not. If you don't finish your degree now, you'll never finish it. It'll change the trajectory of your life. And Dr. Grusbeck, bless his righteous heart, he said, if they drop you, we will, I will stay with you until we get you a job. So a couple days later, kind of trembling, I said, I'm not coming back. It's one of the hardest things I said as a young person. And somehow, by some strange reasoning, maybe the Spirit, they kept me on. You don't know how many times I've thought of that over the years. That fork in the road. How different my life would have been. It was those people with whom I talked who gave me clarity and courage. You stand at the fork in the road. Stand there with Rehoboam. You realize I've got to make a decision here. What do I do? My question for you is, who has your ear? Who are you listening to? Do they have capability? Do they know what they're talking about? Do they have objectivity? Can they stand back and see the bigger picture? And thirdly, Back to 1 Kings 12, thirdly, do they have humility? Humility. Now, you listened to this when we read it just a few moments ago. And you may be sitting there saying to yourself, wait a minute, where did you see humility in that passage? I sure didn't see it. You would be right. There is not only no humility here, there is arrogance haughtiness and vulgarity in the extreme. Most of it coming from Jeroboam's peers, Rehoboam's peers. And yet, looking at that and looking at the disastrous consequences of his decision causes me to say, then what they did, we need to do the reverse of that, which would be humility. After all, there was one who said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and 
humble in heart. And that one changed the world. So humility has power. There is so much arrogance in this, and it's easy to miss it unless we just slow down for a minute because they say something that is based in fear and they say something that's very vulgar. To Rehoboam. So, we go back. I want you to notice something of interest here. Verses 10 and 11. The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Two things. Scorpions. These are not the little creepy crawly things that sting you. These almost certainly are whips that have been doctored. Not the regular whips by which masters in that day and time beat servants. These were whips that had embedded in them glass and stone and other sharp objects so that when this master beat his servant, it would lacerate the skin. It would pull out hunks of flesh. It would leave them destroyed, sometimes not even surviving. And that's what he's saying. His, his peers are saying to him, tell them, you have no idea what it is to be punished. My father did nothing. This is what I'm going to do. Just scare them, his peers are telling him. Have them shaking in their sandals. And then they say one other thing. I debated whether to share this, but you need to know their mindset. It's that line. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. I want to read to you from two scholars who give us a light into what they're actually saying. The first is Chun Leong Xiao, Old Testament scholar at Vanderbilt, who writes this. Rehoboam's companions derogatorily called the boys, even though they must have been about 40 years old, advocated an uncompromising approach, even urging Rehoboam to use what is probably a vulgar idiom, my little thing, and that's how it's written in the commentary, is thicker than my father's loins. Most translators supply the word finger to clarify, but that only obscures the idiom. And then a British scholar, Ian Provan, writes, If the little one is a finger, this is the only place in the Old Testament where it is so, given the location of the loins in the lower part of the body and the fact that power and sexual potency were very much associated in the ancient Near East, it may well be that the little one is, in fact, a male sexual organ. It is certainly not beyond the bounds of possibility that young men might respond to a challenge by using language containing fairly basic sexual imagery. Whatever is the case, the claim is that Rehoboam is a bigger man than his father, a power to be reckoned with. So what they're telling Rehoboam is, tell him, your dad was nothing compared. You want to see a man? That's what he's saying. That's the counsel that has his ear based in fear and arrogance. And it led to a devastating decision. But that's who had his ear. 2007, 2008, 
the eminently talented quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons, Michael Vick, was in deep trouble with the law. Raising dogs, fighting dogs, got him in so much difficulty that he would end up serving almost two years in a federal prison. It was during that time that I was listening to a sports talk show, and Deion Sanders made a comment. Deion, arguably the best cornerback in NFL history. He made a comment. He said, you know, I saw Michael not long ago. He came to an event where I was. He said, and when Michael walked into a room, he was surrounded, and this was Dion's word, he was surrounded by his posse. And when I looked at his posse, I thought in my mind, Michael's in trouble. He's in trouble. Didn't know anything yet about the dogs, but just based on what he saw, Dion said, I knew Michael was in trouble because he knew if you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. It affects you. Just like Rehoboam. Haughty, crass, vulgar counsel, which he follows. He needed a different voice in his ear. A humbling voice. Servant leadership oriented voice. What if, for example, imagine using Julius Caesar as an example of that. But the German historian Christian Meyer writes about Julius Caesar. Writes about Julius Caesar returning to Rome from a mighty victory on the battlefields. He said, as the retinue came back to Rome, it was a parade. They were leading the soldiers, and then the prisoners of war, and then the servants. There were banners, there was music, and then came Julius Caesar in his specially crafted chariot drawn by three white stallions with servants surrounding him, shading him, fanning him. But, says Meyer, there was one servant who had but one job, and that was to stand just behind Caesar. And to keep repeating one line over and over again. Here's the line. Remember, you are human. Remember, you are human. Remember, you are human. It's a good thing to have that voice in your ear. That humbles you, that humbles me. So you stand at the crossroads, the fork in the road. you got to make a decision. Which way? Maybe you chose last week and checked option A already, character, moral, and ethical fiber. I hope not yet. Because then we, this week we have option B, counsel. Who has your ear? But there are yet three to come. I hope you will ponder that question, who has my ear, and make certain that whoever it is has capability, has objectivity, has humility. But I further hope that as you ponder, you'll remember a name. It actually comes from the prophet Isaiah whose quill pen scratched into parchment a name that centuries later would be applied to Jesus of Nazareth. I hope as you make your decisions about your multiple choice that you'll remember that name. 
about who has your ear that you'll remember that name. Because that prophetic name was this. Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Because you know, it's just like the old hymn writer said. That wonderful Counselor is only a prayer away. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.